0: You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we are kicking off a new series um, that we're calling Bold Spirituality. And uh, it sounds like a mouthful, but it's really something that I think is so important for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we take a bold approach. Not an arrogant approach, not a cocky approach where we've got it all figured out, but a bold approach that is grounded in something solid, something eternal. And uh, as we kind of kick off uh, this morning, uh, we have a special guest. I want to invite Justin. If you want to come on up here, kind of talk about a little bit of what he's doing. If you get Justin Fitz this morning... So Justin is part of a a really cool organization that meets here at Calvary. And uh, Justin, just tell us a little about kind of the the group you're you're part of.
1: Yeah, Pastor Nick, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Congratulations on 10 years. Thank you. um, What we're involved in, uh, we're a motorcycle ministry. Uh, What we do is we help kids in school dealing with issues and bullying. Uh, We also have community support programs to help uh, people in communities and to support our community that, um, you know, if there's people in need, we will support them. That's awesome. And on this Biker Sunday, a bunch of them have their bikes out there you can check out uh,
0: afterward. But um, h- how did this all kind of get
1: started? Yeah, so um, our team, we all have issues of bullying. Uh, we all have stories. Um, and we share our stories with the kids that we're helping. Um, and it's something to where, you know, we look at these kids, and they're sheltered. You know, they, don't, they have their head down. You know, they don't really want to talk. Uh, and then they see us, and it's like, Whoa. I have somebody that wants to talk to me. I have somebody that wants to reach out to me. And they get to go to our events. Uh, They get to come and be a part of us. uh, And they actually will get a vest. It uh, it looks just like ours. It has a, a patch on the back. So when they come out, they feel like they are a part of a team. It's awesome. You guys have in school
0: assemblies and all kinds of things. I love what you guys are doing. Now, from the outside, if, if someone was just looking from the outside, you guys don't appear to be the type to help others, to serve those in need. You know, you get the whole kind of Hell's Angels in, you know, idea that some people might have. Why, why do you do
1: it? Why do you guys do this? Yeah, it's kind of that, that factor of, you know, these kids, they are, you know, they're bullied. They're picked on. Um, so when they have somebody that, that doesn't look like, you know, professional or someone that looks like, you know, the run-of-the-mill person that's, you know, trying to counsel them. We show up in, you know, leathers, jeans, and motorcycles. You have this factor of, wow, like, this is not, I don't have to be, I don't have to have, I don't have to fit this mold, yeah. right? We can look and be different.
0: I, I love how you're so countercultural and breaking the stereotype. Like, you're breaking the mold of what uh, people might assume uh, would be the case. What is the good you guys are hoping to achieve in serving the community yeah, around in this area?
1: Yeah, uh, so the kids, you know, we want to try to find the kids that are sheltered, um, that are, you know, they're not telling everybody what's going on, um, that they're just, they're, they're basically, you know, they're dealing with their pain in silence, yeah. Uh, we want to try to outreach to them and try to find ways to where um, we can outreach to those kids, and we do that through membership, we do that through you know, people that just want to support us and just they see what we do, um, and they want to help these kids. I have two, two last questions. One, uh, if you feel comfortable, share us a little bit,
0: kind of your own story. How did bullying affect you? <sighs> wow,
1: okay, wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, so, um, in an elementary school middle school, um, I hated going to school. I was picked on I was tormented Um, I would come home and I would just play hockey in the street by myself with my brother and that was it Uh, I did not want to go to school I did not want to just deal with it Um, so I luckily had hockey I had my parents kind of the support Um, so looking into the team aspect uh, you know I don't know had I not been part of a team it would have been probably a lot different
0: yeah yeah it's awesome for, for someone my, my, maybe who, who kind of, man, just loves what you guys are doing, the heart you have for people, and I appreciate the heart you have for students, and kids in this area, how could people get connected with Protectors of the Phoenix, what yeah. you guys are doing?
1: Yeah, so we have a couple of different uh, things. We have our membership, um, you do not have to ride. Uh, again, we like to have the, the motorcycle side of things to where it's kind of, you know, it's a different outreach, um, but we, our membership is not strictly for motorcycle riders. Um, you know, take your personal vehicle, put a sticker on it. Uh, it's, you know, just wanting to help these kids, um, and just finding ways to where we can outreach to them, um, community support, stuff like yeah. that. So, could they find you on Facebook? That'd be the easiest way. Yeah, so we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, um, protectors of the Phoenix, uh, yeah. dot com on Facebook. Um, we have flyers, pamphlets. I also have my business cards out front. If anybody has any questions and wants to know more about what we do, I have myself and my team members here. Um, ask us questions. Just, you know, come on and talk to us about what we do. You guys have the coolest nicknames. If you
0: don't have a motorcycle, do you still get a nickname? Absolutely. I was just, just asking. I love your guys' nicknames. What's your, what's your Red. Red. What are some of the others? Uh, so we have um, Sly, uh, Papa, Bear, Papa uh, Bear, Chicky. Love it. So... I love it. So if you don't have a motorcycle, you can still get a nickname. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. That's great. Well, uh, I want to pray here real quick uh, for Justin for Protectors of the Phoenix. I love what you guys are doing, and it's just awesome to see your heart and passion for those who are often overlooked, and I think that's so important. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Justin. I thank you for his vision. God, I thank you for how, uh, God, he's been leading Protectors of the Phoenix, Lord, to to care for those who are often overlooked, Lord, those who might be uh, pushed aside. God, I pray you would strengthen them. God, give them a a voice, resources, and opportunity, Lord, to continue to be a voice for those who have no voice. God, bless their work, bless their service, God. Continue to bless this group in every way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much, Justin. Thanks for being up there. Awesome, appreciate you. you. You know, uh, groups like Protectors of the Phoenix, one of the things I love is just the the boldness, the courage to to not just go into the regular mold and stereotype. You know, it's easier to go with the flow. It's easier to basically do what everyone else is doing, and that's what the large majority of people do because that's uh, how societies work. Um, But I love it when we can step out and go a little bit different flow, a little bit different direction. Uh, You know, in January of 1929... There was a comic strip called Thimble Theater that was introduced. And comic strip had some traction, was doing pretty well. And, and throughout the uh, time of that, that comic strip, a, a new character was introduced. His name was Popeye. And Popeye started to become more and more popular and, and people liked it. So in the mid-1930s, Popeye got his own comic strip. Uh, and became known, uh, uh, now famous title, Popeye the Sailor. Uh, Popeye the Sailor, this comic strip eventually get its own cartoon. Um, and one of the staples of Popeye's on-screen persona was the transformation that would take place when, pers- when Popeye ate something. Does anyone know? Spinach. There you go. You guys are really on top of things. Um, uh it's spinach in fact it's in the theme song for the cartoon i was debating whether or not i should sing this I, i'm on like a nick if nick sings mute it immediately uh thing so it might not work but you guys know the theme song uh you know i'm popeye the sailor man i'm popeye the sailor man I'm strong to the finish when i eat spinach you guys almost did it that was good it's close enough um This was such a big deal. And you know, up until the 1930s, the mid-1930s, Popeye just had this strength, but no one ever knew why. And a little insider thing I researched and found out. uh, The U.S. government, we were in the middle of the uh, Great Depression, and there was a meat shortage. And uh, they were concerned about people not getting uh, enough nutrients, uh, iron specifically. And so the the U.S. government actually approached the uh, creators of Popeye and asked them to introduce spinach as the cause for Popeye's uh, strength. And they introduced it, spinach immediately shot to the top as one of the top vegetables being eaten in America. In fact, during the 1930s, uh, surveys showed that uh, for children the top three vegetables that children liked, spinach actually made it into the top three during that time, where before that wasn't even the case. So little insider research I found, it's kind of neat, but Popeye had this remarkable ability when he ate spinach to have this supernatural strength, and it wasn't just Popeye, if you see throughout the history of that cartoon, uh, other people would eat the spinach and get this strength, and it was unique, it was was incredible. They were able to do things that normally uh, wasn't possible. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, it's just a fun thing. We're going to go home and that's it. Um, no, uh, when we read the Bible, when we open the Bible, maybe you've never opened the Bible before. Maybe you read the Bible often. I don't know where you are. But when we read the Bible, one of the things that so many people often assume, uh, whether they're realizing it or not, is that like, the stories of the Bible, the people in Scripture were just special. Like they would do superhuman things, almost impossible things, uh, and, and we think the, these mythical figures are almost untouchable. Like they're different. Like we have people like Moses that would part an entire body of water with with a wave of his staff, so millions of people could walk through that now parted body of water on dry land. Or, or you have stories of, of women like Deborah who would do the impossible. She would lead, basically lead an army against the mighty armies of Canaan as a woman in a very strongly male-dominated world. Like this was impossible. Or, 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 or you have stories in the New Testament, things like sh- the shadow of Peter, one of the apostles, literally healing people. Like people just passed through his shadow and they're healed, or, or stories where, where the handkerchief of the Apostle Paul was given to people and, and their illnesses were cured. Like, we hear these stories and we're like, wow, that's like a different world. I don't even understand how that would happen. And, and as we read them, we, we almost assume that, that this superhuman ability they had was unique unto them. And, and then you see throughout history, there are men like Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke who had many stories of Lily praying for the dead and they were brought back to life and the sick are healed. Or, or stories like, like Catherine Coleman, who, who saw tumors immediately, instantly disappear. Or, or stories where, where, where she, well, I remember one story I heard that, that she uh, prayed for a, a man who was in the military and had lost his eyesight in war and she prays for him immediately. What was damaged at war is restored and healed. You, you see these stories in even more recent times. And you start to think, well, maybe there's something there. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not just superhumans doing superhuman things. Maybe there's something to this. Now, if we rewind to the first century, there is this display of power and force and, and just pure strength that took place uh, in, in the world in a way that it never had before. And, and not just with one person, uh, not even just with a small group of people. It was a movement. that that swept across the Roman Empire. And I'm not referring to a political coup or some military campaign, but rather a ragtag group of men and women that didn't appear to have much power, much strength, much influence, or any of the status symbols that we strive for as human beings. Uh, Instead, they possessed a different kind of power that was so much bigger than one person or even one group of people. It was the power, ultimately, that came from God. Now uh, this group of people eventually would become known as Christians that, and they would stand in the face of remarkable threats of violence uh, against them that, that 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 they would even be threatened with death and, and yet they didn't waver like they didn't didn't face them <laughs> they, they would not only stand in the face of potential pain but total societal exclusion They weren't welcomed in public spaces. They weren't even given a voice or a platform, and any platform that they might strive to achieve would be ripped from them by the authorities uh, that were in charge at the time. And it wasn't just physical pain, but the constant reminder that they weren't welcomed by those who were in charge of the world at the time. And in spite of all of this, they stood with this boldness and courage and unmatched perseverance they didn't break out in violence or, or protests or, 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 or any form of destruction. But Instead, this group of people walked with a strength that caused everyone around them to question what was different about them. And, and what was different wasn't simply a strong inner resolve. It wasn't simply a confidence in who they were as individuals. It wasn't even a commitment to a cause bigger than themselves. It was the unmistakable power of the Holy Spirit working through them. It was literally the same God that spoke the world into existence, the same God that healed the lame and raised the dead. The same God, in all his power and might, was actually residing within them. And the result of this wasn't some political revolution. It wasn't a cultural phenomenon. The result was a movement of the miraculous that would touch every level of society, from the peasant all the way up to the emperor of Rome. There were no segments in first century world that were not touched By this movement. And what's even harder to grasp is what took place wasn't the result of like people pulling strings behind the scenes. All the powers that be weren't making this all happen. In fact, they were doing everything they could to stop it. Whether it be the the Roman authorities, the Jewish rolling body, they were trying to kill and eliminate this movement. This group of people literally had everything stacked against them. And yet, they still prevail. Now, this is more than simply an interesting history lesson about the formation and growth of what has now become known as the church. I I believe it's actually a remarkable model for how to live in the 21st century. You see, in 2021, we found ourselves living in a nation, a world, and in a moment in time where the beliefs outlined in this book we call the Bible, where the way of Jesus and all that we strive to stand for as a church at times, runs in direct opposition to where our country and culture are wanting to go. There's no question that we now live in a post-Christian nation. If, that is, if it's really possible to have a quote-unquote Christian nation. Um, to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus is no longer popular. It's no longer the thing to do, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think it ever will be again. And I don't say that to be pessimistic or negative, because I don't think that's necessarily even a bad thing. In the face of opposition, I've watched so many shrink back in identifying themselves as followers of Jesus. Some try to minimize this fact, and and others have even just walked away from the church altogether. And this isn't unique simply to our time. It's something that has really happened throughout history, even was happening during Jesus' time. One of the prominent religious leaders uh, during Jesus' day was a good example of this. Uh, His name was Nicodemus. He was a very well-known, well-respected Pharisee, which meant he was a member of the Jewish ruling body. Being associated with Jesus, the leader of this supposed Jewish sect, uh, would not only have been unpopular for him to do, but could have been career suicide. In spite of this, Nicodemus wants to meet with Jesus. So so rather than meeting with him in public, here's here's what he does. It's recorded in uh, John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, as I mentioned. He came to Jesus at night. So what's amazing about this, Nicodemus, this very well-known, respected Jewish leader, comes to Jesus at night, under the cover of darkness. And, And as he meets with Jesus... Jesus doesn't condemn him or shun him for 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 doing this but he has this really valuable conversation with him. In fact, you can read the whole conversation in John chapter three, the whole chapter. It's fascinating. It is remarkable. When, when you see this Jewish man who's very well educated, understands everything, having this conversation with Jesus, uh, back and forth, really valuable discussion. I would encourage you to read. But if you, you, you see this, and you see uh, this man who's supposed to have power and authority coming under the cover of darkness to meet with Jesus, and, and you think, well, what happened with Nicodemus? Was he always so... Uh, secretive about being a follower of Jesus? Like, was there a moment where he was more public with it? Well, if you fast forward to John's Gospel, John chapter 19, Jesus, uh, at this moment, had just been crucified. He is, he's, he's dead, his lifeless body is hanging on the cross. And this is usually when family members or, or friends might come to remove the body to provide it with a proper burial. None of Jesus' followers or even his family dared to do this for him, though. They were fearful that the Romans might do the same to them that they had done to Jesus. Then two very unlikely people stepped forward to care for his body. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, who was the uh, Roman authority at the time in that area, that region, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by, can you say this name? He was accompanied by who? Do we have this? We don't have that verse. Uh, He was almost there. Here we go. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Nicodemus himself was there. Here's what it says. Uh, He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Now, Arimathea, uh, where Joseph is from, is about 20 minutes northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, Though a member of the Sanhedrin, which Joseph was, he was a member of the Jewish ruling body, which that's the group that basically had condemned Jesus to be crucified, uh, although he was part of the Sanhedrin, uh, Luke tells us that he was a good and upright man who, ha- uh, who had not consented to their decision to have Jesus crucified. After crucifixion now, the Romans usually left the body to the, to the birds, to the beasts of the field. It was the last act of humiliation uh, in crucifixion. Ro- or Jews, though, would not let the body sit. So you have this Jewish, these two Jewish leaders who... Basically, it wasn't popular for them to be associated with Jesus. And now, at this very public, prominent moment, they step forward to take the body of Jesus. And you look at Nicodemus and the journey that he was on. Something was changing inside of Nicodemus. And, and today, as we face faced remarkable obstacles as Christians, obstacles that American generations before us have never faced in this way. The question I hear from a lot of church leaders, pastors, Followers of Jesus is this. What does, the way look for, what does the way forward look like for us? How, how do we do this? Uh, how, how do we live in such a uh, different context than we've known before? How do we live for Jesus when living for Jesus is now a negative? It's not the popular thing to do. It's not the cool thing to do. For some, this is when they exit stage left. When, when things get difficult, when things aren't going the way uh, that, that, that you know, we plan, when, when, when it's not popular to do something, they go the way of what's popular. But I have this belief that for many of you, that's not the case. I have a sneaking suspicion that for many of you, you're cut from a different cloth. That there is something that is different about you. And my goal today isn't to try to inspire you, to to energize you or simply ignite something in you. My goal today is really to connect you to the one that can do all those things and so much more. It's the same one that empowered the early followers of Jesus to stand in the face of beatings, of imprisonment, of of being burned alive. It's the same power that allowed individuals like Paul or Peter or or Reinhard Bonnke or Catherine Coleman to heal the sick and raise the dead. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You, You see, this is what Paul, the apostle, was challenging the Roman church with, I believe is speaking into the future to us today. It's recorded in Romans chapter 8 verse 11. He wrote this, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your moral bodies by the same spirit living within you. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, what you read in this book called the Bible, the stories you hear of the miraculous of the supernatural, the, the stories you see of people literally standing strong and firm in their faith, even, even when everything is saying you should just give up. Just renounce your faith. Just, just say, you know what, maybe not, because my, my life is on the line here now. Even in the face of all of that, you can stand strong. Why? Because the same spirit that literally raised Jesus from the dead, that caused him to walk out of the grave, can live in you. We have found ourselves as Christians and followers of Jesus at such an important crossroads. And in this historic moment, we can definitely choose the easy way. Uh, The way of safety, uh, apparent security and and, and acceptability. We can take that way, uh, the way that we might call the wimpy way out, and and it'll be okay. Everything will be fine with you for now. Or like Popeye, we can stand in the face of opposition and, and obstacles with a strength that is not our own. Not a strength that we just dig down deeper and find somewhere deep inside of us. It's a strength that's not our own. It's a strength that flows from the very throne room of God. Paul Paul would write this to a young man named Timothy that began following him and would eventually pastor one of the churches that Paul started. In his last letter to to Timothy that we at least have recorded, Paul writes this to Timothy about facing obstacles and difficulties. It's recorded in 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, for God has not given us a spirit, can you read this, of what? fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity. Uh, I, one of the things that I think is so sad is so many people who are followers of Jesus have responded to the last, last year, the last number of years, with fear and timidity. They've responded in different ways. Some have been just blatantly obnoxious. And, and, and there are Their their obnoxiousness is really coming from a place of fear and insecurity. They're afraid that what's happening might in some way minimize what God is doing. Can I tell you? Nothing will. I don't care what a politician does. I don't care what society does. We have the track record of 2,000 years. Uh, There have been emperors, dictators, people that have tried to squelch the gospel who have way more power, authority, and resources uh, throwing at it, and they still haven't. Why? Because God is faithful. His word is faithful. We don't have to be insecure or fearful or worried about what's happening here or there uh, or, or, or what, 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 what legislation's passed or what's not. Can I tell you, as followers of Jesus, he's over all of that. He can work in spite of it. He can work around it. He can work through it. He can work even when it's going in contrary directions. We don't have to operate as followers of Jesus in fear or timidity. That's what Paul's writing. But we can live with power and love and self discipline. Those sometimes sound contradictory. How can you have love and power in the same sentence? Uh, how can you have self discipline in that sentence? Those don't make sense. Power should mean like you can do whatever you want. No, it's a channeled power from the throne of God. So, so how do we walk in that power? Paul explains it in, a very, in the very, in the previous verse, the verse right before this, in verse six. He says this to, to Timothy. This is why I remind you to fan and to flame the spiritual gift God gave you. And, and here's the truth I want to share with you just briefly. And we're going to wrap up here from God's word. What you do in private affects how you live in public. What you do in private affects how you live in public. We have been told that to see progress in our world, to see things move forward and experience the good that our world so desperately longs for. We just need to, deep, to reach deep into ourselves. We need to be willing to go the way of society and everything will just work out in the end. Today, I think we need to learn a lesson from the early church. Often we need to be willing to go against the flow. Not, not with arrogance, not with an attitude, but rather walking with a unique boldness that is clothed in love. You see, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can dwell inside of you. The same power that with one word from God caused the waters to part, the land to appear, beasts to be formed, the same God that spoke everything into existence can dwell in you. And the spirit of God isn't going to produce some abstract inner force in you, but rather an outward force that changes everything it touches, even in the face of impossibility. And I think it's time that we as followers of Jesus don't just roll over and accept what's handed to us. It's time we fan into flame the gift of God, the power of God, the supernatural. As a worship team comes this morning, question me, what, what does this mean? What does this look like for us? This means that we're not going to do, uh, we're not going to be those that just shrink back or step back. But we're going to step up, even when it's not easy. I, I love how the author of Hebrews writes it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, says this, but we do not belong, you know what, can we read this together? I think this is such an important declaration for us as followers of Jesus. Maybe you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus, that's cool, you can still say it, Uh, if you can read, um, you can still read it, okay? For those of you, I always like to throw this joke in, if you went to Norwin, I apologize, I went to Derry, we learned to read at a very young age. Um, But can we read this together? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39 let's read this with some some boldness but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved, can we read it one more time say this with some courage but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are safe you are not one who shrinks back you are not one who steps back you are not one that just goes with the flow you are one that steps into what God has for you with boldness and courage that's not just from some inner resolve it comes from the throne of God let's not be those that shrink back but step up what you do in private affects how you live in public. Oh, we don't need more people who just go along with the flow. We need more people who are willing to be obedient to what God says. Not, not just like obedient with these little robots that are going throughout the world. I'm talking about people who are willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and pray for people when he prompts them and to see the supernatural flow out of their words and their hands. You might think, I'm not a pastor. I can't do it. You can You didn't read the New Testament clearly. Like the New Testament, the people who God was using to do the supernatural didn't have the titles, they didn't have the degrees, they didn't have the education, they had all the reasons why it shouldn't happen, and yet it still happened. Why? Because that's who God works with. God doesn't work with the likely, He works with the unlikely, the overlooked, the forgotten, the abandoned, the ones who are pushed aside by society. God has called us to step up, to be used by Him. You might think, I don't have what it takes. That's because what you do in private affects how you live in public. What are you doing in private? You know, as we kick off this series, I want to challenge you to join us for something that we're stepping into this week. We call it our refresh week. We, we do this on a regular basis. And, and, and the question is how, how do we live with an uncommon level of boldness? We focus on cultivating a healthy walk with Jesus through reading His Word, through prayer, taking time privately to, to foster that. So, so, starting this Wednesday, this Wednesday, going through next Monday, Our staff is taking time to fast and to pray. We're praying for our church. We're praying for our community. We're praying for our world. We're praying for our neighbors. We're going to literally be giving up food, giving up things, and taking that time to pray. And we want to invite you to join us. You might think that's the stupidest, craziest thing you've ever heard. You know what's on the other side of crazy things? Impossible things get done. And that's what God wants to call us to. So from Wednesday through next Monday, we're going to be fasting and praying every day. At noon, we're going to be broadcasting our Facebook page, uh, just noon prayer times together with our leaders. You're welcome to join us for. we're, We're going to be going through a devotional on the YouVersion Bible app you can follow along with us, interact with. Uh, it's, uh, if you go on your phone to refresh.calvaryerwin.com, you can access that uh, devotional on the YouVersion Bible app. Check it out. Join us. And starting Mon- Wednesday morning, we're going to go through that all the way through to next Monday, walking through what does it mean to live and foster the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and, and on top of that, next, next Sunday, Monday, we're going to have a special guest, Ty Buckingham. We're gonna be taking time Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night to just seek God together as a church. Why do we do this? Because we have busy lives. I know we've got so much going on. Before we get into the fall, let's take some time to hear from God. Let's cultivate privately what we hope God will do publicly through us. You're never gonna step into a moment and see God do supernatural, impossible things if you're first not cultivating what he can do. Because what you do in private affects how you live in public. And I have this strong belief that it's not simply based on my opinion or feeling, uh, uh, but it's grounded in Scripture that we as followers of Jesus and as a church collectively are not meant to simply follow Jesus for our own benefit, but, but for the betterment of the world around us. What, we, what that means is that we exist as a church not for you. We exist for those outside these walls. Everything we do is to equip you and equip us to represent Jesus well in public. So if what we do in private will affect how we live in public, let's start doing the right things when no one's watching. Let's start seeking God for our coworkers, for our family members, for our neighbors. Let's start praying for the miraculous on a regular basis. Start immersing ourselves in the word of God, the presence of God, the power of God. And you know what we'll start to see? Those things that you read about or hear about that men and women of God have been doing that seems so superhuman, we start to see those things are not just the result of talented people, gifted people, but people who have given attention to their private lives with Jesus and in turn have displayed a public show of Jesus' power throughout their lives. There's not some switch you just flip. You're like, oh man, now the miraculous flows. No, it's being willing to cultivate that privately. This morning as we prepare to wrap up, we're gonna take communion together. There's elements for communion in the pew in front of you. And I think communion is such a powerful example of what we're talking about. You know, in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is preparing to be crucified. And, and, and he gathers, you probably have heard this story maybe, but uh, Jesus is preparing to be crucified. Can you imagine the, the weight? Like, if you have difficulty going to sleep at night before you have a big presentation at work or something, imagine this. You're going to literally be beaten, hung to suffocate on a cross publicly for everyone to see. Like, that's crazy stuff. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, with some of his disciples. Here's what it says in, in Luke chapter 22. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt and prayed. Listen to this. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, as we prepare to celebrate communion, we celebrate oftentimes the public moment where Jesus hung upon a cross, breathed his last, and said, it is finished, and three days later would walk out of the grave. We celebrate the public moments, but can I tell you, there was a sacrifice before the sacrifice. There was a moment before the moment. What was that moment? This was that moment. Jesus is by himself praying to God. God, if there's any other way for this to happen, if, if, if there's some other way you can supernaturally atone or cover for the mistakes, the sins of the world without me going to the cross, let it be so. But if not, your will be done. I'll do it. And he keeps praying. You see, what's he doing? He's practicing privately what God's about to do publicly. What we hold in our hands represents his body, and his blood that was shed for us. But can I tell you, 2000 years before you were ever born, before you were ever thought about, Jesus was praying for you. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, you and me, he endured the pain of the cross. We are so blessed to experience salvation, redemption, not because we've got it all figured out, but because Jesus was willing to go privately before he went publicly and pray for you as we remember his sacrifice here's what I want to challenge you with what Jesus did privately you model privately so that you can walk in what he did publicly publicly you want to see the miracles and I'm not just talking about miracles where you have like a stadium of people and people are just being healed that's not for all of us I'm talking about miracles where your parents get back together and you never thought that was going to happen Miracles where God says, I want you to give this person a hundred bucks. And you're like, I only have a hundred bucks. God says, do it. You give them a hundred bucks and you have no money. And God provides supernaturally so you can give someone else a hundred bucks. Miracles that aren't grand in the sense that they end up in a book or a magazine, but miracles nonetheless. God wants to do that in your life. But how can he do that if you're not privately cultivating the spirit of God, the power of God in your life? So as we receive communion today, We're gonna eat the bread and drink the cup, remembering not just a Jesus that went to the cross and died for you, a Jesus that prayed for you, a Jesus that modeled privately what he hopes for you to do publicly. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, I thank you for what you have done on our behalf. Lord, we are so undeserving of it. Jesus, I pray that you would move in the miraculous through our church and our community God not for our glory for your glory Holy Spirit challenge us to cultivate privately Lord the life that you've called us to live publicly Holy Spirit I pray that you'd be released in people over this next month Holy Spirit fill us baptize us immerse us in your presence Lord let us not be satisfied with things as they are Lord let us be willing to be those who step up not shrink back Thank you, Lord, that you weren't one of those, that you stepped to the cross willingly, hung upon that cross and died for us. And you walked out of that grave three days later, conquering sin, death, and the grave. Thank you for your gift, your model, and your example. Let us follow in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can partake of the bread this morning. you've done so, you can partake of the cup as well. And this morning, as we prepare to close, you can stand with me. I just want to pray for you. I know, you know, it's just a prayer, and you're like, you know, what what does that matter? I believe there's power in prayer, because we're not just talking into the air. We're talking to a God that can do impossible things. Here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you begin to take even baby steps to cultivate the presence and power of God in your life. Maybe that's taking time to pray. Maybe that's taking time to go through God's word. That you begin to take steps towards that. And that God would begin to give you glimpses of what becomes possible publicly, because you've cultivated that privately that you might get a chance to see a miracle in your life this week. Not just in your life, I'm talking about in your coworker's life and maybe your neighbor's life. That you might get to see a miracle happen in your life this week. That's my prayer for you. I can tell you, when you start to see the miraculous and the supernatural happen through your life, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe God would use me. Can I tell you, God uses those people more and more, the ones who think, I can't believe God would use me. Because when pride and arrogance come in, God steps away. Why? Because he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. That's my prayer, that you would see the miraculous happen through your life this week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that we can be part of a community of faith. God, that doesn't shrink back, doesn't sit back and just accept things as they are, but, Lord, is ready and willing, Lord, to step out to change the world, Lord, to change the face of culture, to change society. Lord, not in our own, not with our own inner resolve, but with the power of the Spirit. God, I pray this week over every person that's here, that's watching online, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give them opportunity to see the miraculous this week. God, I pray that you begin to cultivate in them, God, a hunger for your word and your presence. God, that there be a rhythm of prayer and study of your word. Lord, that's not just religious obligation or religious duty, but Lord, it's something that is genuinely a hunger. God, I pray that out of that would come the fruit of the supernatural, the result of that private life that is cultivated. Holy Spirit, move in the miraculous, Lord. Lord, in cubicles, and grocery stores, the gas stations, at schools, and neighborhood backyards, Lord. Lord. Lord, move in the miraculous, I pray. God, I pray you would change the world through us, not for our benefit or our glory, God, for what you are doing in this world. Bless us, challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, give us boldness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have.